great leaders can encourage us to reach new heights and achieve more than we ever thought possible. But what makes a great leader? And why pursue a leadership role in the first place? Welcome to the VMUG Inspirational Leadership Podcast, where we share the stories of leaders at all levels who desire to inspire those under their care. Hi, I'm Michael Fleischer, and I'm a Senior Staff Solution Engineer at VMware. Hi, I'm Nick Cordy, and I'm a Staff Solution Engineer at VMware. Our guest on the Inspirational Leadership Podcast today is Narayan Barwaj. Narayan, do you mind just taking a second to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do today and just a brief career background? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Cloud Solutions at VMware. I've been at VMware for eight plus years more broadly in the uh, technology industry for close to 25 years now. It's great to be here talking about uh, various things. Excellent. So part of our format here is to ask our guests three specific questions to begin every interview. The first one is, what do you think is the difference between a manager and a leader? It's a good question. And the way I simplify it in my mind is, look, everyone has innate leadership qualities. The simple definition of a leader for me is, when someone is aiming for a specific outcome that individually you cannot achieve, then you must become a leader to achieve that outcome with others. Right? And I think that's the simple, simple way to look at leadership. And leadership traits uh, can be developed all the way from elementary school, middle school, high school, all the way to your professional careers, right? I think that's really important. And as a manager, it's a, it's a much smaller subset and when some people get the responsibility to really take care of other human beings in a professional setup, that's a very different perspective. That's a very different responsibility as a manager and some very different areas that you might you must work on. Perfect. And I completely agree. Starting leadership skills, or at least the development of those skills early, is crucial for life, <laughs> right? So I, I work on it with my kids all the time. So you answered part of the next question, but I'm going to ask it directly anyway. Uh, what qualities should a good leader possess? Yeah, and you know, it's important because leadership is so inbuilt into all walks of life. Uh, for example, I work with the Boy Scouts of America, right, with my son. We work with middle school kids to sort of build leadership traits into them and develop a lot of uh, traits that are already with these kids. And so I look at you know, three core ideas when it comes to leadership. Number one, it's about empathy. When you're trying to really achieve an outcome, you have to do it with empathy by understanding what others can contribute and their points of view to achieve their desired outcome. The second one is clear-mindedness about the outcome itself. And so when you're clear-minded as a leader about the outcome, it helps to resolve a lot of issues, remove doubt, inspire others around you towards that clear-minded goal. And the third thing I would say is um, just perseverance. If you persevere towards the desired outcome with empathy, then you achieve that goal. I would boil it down to those three things. And these are, there are many other things to worry about, but uh, in all of my involvement with others, you know, all in my professional career, as well as in my personal life, these are some of the things I look forward to. I like that list. That's a good list. I hear you. I, it sounds to me like if you persevere with open-minded empathy, you should be good to go. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. So if someone has an open enough mind 
to pursue leadership, what advice would you have for them in, in just looking at whether it's the right thing for them? First of all, you know, it's a question of opportunity, right? And I think um, as leaders, you must provide and develop other leaders around you, right? And give them opportunities to really, really flourish in that setup. Um, I think I heard something even this morning uh, about leadership. It says, uh, leadership is not about making good decisions. It's about helping others around you to make the right decision and having that right setup. And so I would say that for any upcoming professional or even uh, folks in any walk of life, uh, I think it's really important to understand what your passion is. What do you really want to achieve? What fires you up every day? Um, what are some of the things you want to do in your personal life and your professional life? And you know, have some goals around that. Once you have those goals, then you begin to understand whether you can achieve it by yourself or do you really need to really engage with other human beings, other organizations to succeed and achieve that outcome. And then you start to build a plan towards that and you start to make those connections and uh, start to get towards your outcome with that perseverance. So I would say that the individual's ability to be very passionate about something, it really starts with that. And then you build on all the other layers around you. And I think uh, on the flip side, uh, for leaders who are in professional setups, who have a little bit more of a worldview and potentially other advantages that come with being in leadership roles for long periods of time, I think it's our job to create those opportunities. And at the end of the day, there's a matchmaking that's going on between leaders creating opportunities and individuals really stepping up and matching that with their personal areas of passion. And I think that's how the whole community develops around that. And I guess you as a senior leader have to be a little bit of a talent scout in that way. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, we are recruiting leaders every day, right? I think, uh, you know, it's not just the, the LinkedIn recruiting. <laughs> of course, that happens. But I think it's literally you're looking around, you're trying to identify the right folks, right, for the areas that you yourself are passionate about as a leader. You know, let's say I have the top three projects I'm driving uh, at this moment uh, within VMware, and I'm constantly looking for leaders within the company to help step in and really fill that gap and help execute on that shared outcome. And so this constant recruitment, constant network is really important, right, for all leaders in all walks of life. And I think it's really to sort of synthesize that and use that to the advantage of achieving your outcome really is important because, you know, we all grow up through different stages of our professional career, but then you always have that instance where, you know, you have this one outcome in mind and you know that this specific individual would be a great fit for it that you may have worked with 10 years ago. And so I think having that ability to sort of uh, recruit that individual, right, um, on, the, on that shared goal is really important. And that can really move mountains very, very quickly. I'm really curious if that's what happened when you decided to pursue leadership. I'd we'd love to hear a little bit more about what made you want to get into leadership in the first place. Yeah, I mean, personally, you know, I've had a you know long enough career here in Silicon Valley in the technology industry. I think for me, coming through a sort of somewhat traditional background, at least from my standpoint, maybe non-traditional for others, but pursuing an engineering career, starting with an engineering job role, right, being an individual contributor, I quickly realized that I had 
some higher level goals that I was not able to achieve in that particular job role early in my career. And so I learned a lot. I looked at other leaders around me, saw the types of things they were saying and doing. And that was a really good experience uh, when I was really early in my career. And then it really dawned on me that I, I really wanted to be like some of the leaders that I was observing from close quarters. And then the passion that I had to map to that was really about being a lot more on the business side, on product innovation, how to build products, et cetera. I wasn't achieving that in my day job. And so I was starting to follow my passion uh, more aggressively from that point on, where I moved into product management and started to build products and started to influence others around me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any, any, anyone reporting to me at the time, but it really taught me in that particular job role, how to influence others on a shared outcome. In this case, a particular customer outcome, market outcome, and then recruiting others, right? In different functions, uh, even, even working with customers very closely, recruiting customers, right? On that shared outcome as well, to a, to a large extent. And so I think that pivot in my career was really helpful and set me up for future leadership opportunities, uh, especially as a manager, et cetera. But first I had to learn that skill to influence others without having a reporting structure. And I think that has stood me very well for the rest of my career. And from that point on, you know, the obvious sort of uh, step was as I was growing my career, that the manager role came and then along with that, uh, the rest of the changes throughout the rest of my career. So you talked a little bit about product management here, <clears throat> and that's actually our next question. So it's a perfect segue here. So the jump from director of product management to the VP of a business unit or a business group, what did that look like for you? And what other teams did you inherit in that move that either shocked you or, <laughs> you know, just something you, you weren't ready for? Was there anything specific there? Yeah, I mean, I think the evolution for me personally, you know, uh, I've led product management teams, solution architect teams, and more recently, in the last one year or so, I'm also leading engineering and SRE teams, right, in a more general management role. So I think I've been very fortunate that opportunities have come by, right, and I've been able to raise my hand and say, uh, you know, I'm a good fit for this role. I've been given the opportunity to sort of lead diverse set of functions. I'd say that, uh, you know, VMware has been a great company, first of all, that has created those opportunities for me to sort of thrive. I'm very thankful for that, for the VMware leadership overall. And, and for many leaders um, uh, that I've observed in close quarters at VMware. So first of all, check on the company, right? Great company, great culture, creates a set of leaders and a set of opportunities. And this ecosystem is really important. Personally, for me, I've latched onto that ecosystem and really built my career here. And I would say that, uh, you know, the transition for me has been scaling the product management approach from an individual contributor to leading Really, you know, large teams uh, of product management, uh, you know, individual contributors, first line managers, second line managers, etc. And then I would say the second sort of learning for me has been to lead solution architects. Right, it's something that uh, we are very passionate about, especially with the VMUG community that's full of very creative folks who work with customers, you know, day in and day out. And so having that very talented team and leading that team has been a very big learning experience for me, right, personally. And then lastly, going back to my engineering groups as well, right? Leading engineering teams. And so my early experience and my early passion for engineering has sort of come full circle, right? In some ways. And I, I was able to connect back with my engineering roots and lead a fairly large engineering team right now at this moment. 
So uh, all of these different facets, you never know what can come back. And so there's a lot of learning there. I'm really curious, once you get to the VP level, how do you keep in touch with or keep a pulse of what the individual contributors are up to and whether they're executing on the right strategy? Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of strategies that I use in my day-to-day life. Number one is all about employee engagement. And I think, you know, as a leader and even as a manager, you, you must do these things. Uh, given that we're in fairly turbulent times, especially with the macroeconomy we have right now at this very moment we're recording this conversation, I'd say that it's even more important to have that employee engagement. And so the strategies that I use you know, are very simple. Having uh, you know, a distribution list, a team Slack channel, being very transparent, uh, being very engaged day in and day out, posting relevant things, uh, asking questions, right? Celebrating wins, talking about challenges, all of these things, right? Keeping it really real, um, not just through all hands and everything else, but really conversationally day, day in and day out, I think it's really important, right? And I think that creates a level of authenticity that's really hard to program through all hands and other sort of more formal forums. I would say to me, that's been the one simple way to be very engaged and, and drive employee engagement as well, right? Into the various initiatives that we have in plan and also understand and empathize with some of the challenges that we have, you know, worldwide. I mean, we all learn, uh, we all run worldwide organizations. And so to really understand what each geo is going through, specific country issues, challenges, right? We empathize with each other when there are struggles or there's a you know, big uh, storm situation in Florida, for example. Uh, or we're celebrating Halloween together, we're celebrating Diwali, we're celebrating something else, right? And so I think really creating that forum for engagement is really important. And as a leader, you actually participating in that forum is even more important. You touched on this very, very closely there, but I'm going to ask it a little more directly. How do you specifically create a positive team culture with the folks that you're working with? Yeah, I think, you know, early on when you know, I go back to the to the current team that I'm leading about 18 months ago, when we created this new organization, it had all of these different functions, right? Uh, engineering, SRE, product management, solution architecture, program management, et cetera. So the first thing that we did was uh, we got together with a few of the core leaders, right, uh, that report to me directly. And we st- started to socialize a set of values and we socialize those values with a slightly broader set, and ultimately with the entire organization. I think the value setting was really important. Like, who are we as an organization? What do our values reflect? What are we telling others about our values, right? To the rest of the company, to the rest of the community around us. And so we created a very simple value system for ourselves. And we created a charter for ourselves, right? Which is sort of more given to us. But the value system is something that we get a lot more control of. I think creating that very simple uh, mechanism uh, really helped to have that notion of a team. And so what is a team, right? And it's a team is a set of human beings working towards a common outcome, right? With a shared, shared value system. And I think creating that whole framework really helped. And then it helped morph us into many additional company structures like OKRs and whatnot. But those were tactics, right? We had to really create that value system for the team really get us off the ground. I like that. What I have seen happen 
with leaders is part of the value system becomes taking time for yourself, making sure that there's enough coverage so that you can be off and disconnected. I'm just curious, Narayan, as a busy executive, how do you take time for yourself to disconnect? Because leaders need that, I'm sure, just as individual contributors do. Yeah, I think everyone needs that time to disconnect, uh, relax, rejuvenate, and come back stronger. There's no question about it. I think uh, there are two parts to it. Number one is creating that forum, that ecosystem again, where it's it's not only permissible, but it's encouraged to have that time off. And, and I think we have some simple formulas for that, right? Make sure your calendar, your Slack channels, et cetera, well-coordinated, everyone knows you're on PTO, you're out of office messages. Be very mindful as, uh, as anyone, right? In, in a professional setup, you gotta let others know, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I think that that is the responsibility that we all have. I think beyond that, everyone else must respect that. So that's a simple formula. Now, personally, for me, uh, you know, weekends are great, right? It's, it's completely down unless there's a massive executive escalation of some sort, right? But, uh, you know, we respect that quite a bit. And then when I'm on PTO, that's, you know, also take the time to do that, first of all, spend time with family, um, usually go off to some far off place <laughs> and disconnect completely, right? More recently, first on a personal note, I really enjoyed, again, um, with the, the Boy Scouts organization. I've gone on very long camping trips, uh, camping trips with the Boy Scouts group and spent literally six days without internet, <laughs> right? And so that's been a really, you know, in a sort of a remote setup in some forest somewhere and, you know, throwing down a tent and just living uh, without too many amenities. And so personally, that's been very relaxing for me to really disconnect in that way. And I think to each their own, right? Everyone finds their, their own way to kind of disconnect. We encourage that. I don't know what six days without the internet would be like, and I kind of want to experience it now. Because I am so plugged in, no matter what time of day it is. So I I envy that. I enjoy that. It's a strange detox process, I'll tell you. I can imagine. All right. So I'm going to move back to the product management, I guess, subset here. I'm very, very interested in seeing how we can help potentially the Vimo community provide better feedback to product managers. So to you, what is the gold standard form or fashion of feedback? Uh, or should they just say, hey, this stinks and here's why? Yeah, no, I think it's 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 a really good question. And if you think about it, right, product management, even at VMware, is morphing from more traditional on-prem products with fewer releases to more active software as a service model where there's constant engagement with the users. So I think that the whole product strategy has obviously evolved into that, even as we think about innovating in the multi-cloud space, the delivery mechanisms increasingly is as a service. And so that is a fundamental change in the way products are developed, the fundamental change in the way product management, engineering, SRE teams think about it, and even customers. You know, when when we look at the VMOC community, it's it's a fantastic community, right? We have some unbelievable technical leaders there in that community. And we work with many of them, right, in in various roles, whether they are technical experts, uh, you know, whether they're part of a partner and a customer community, right, in various different roles. Um, I'd say that we look to renew our closed loop with all of them, right, in new and different ways. There are a lot of mechanisms. Uh, one of the things that uh, we really learned well is uh, as we have built the as a service model, uh, we have in-service mechanisms to 
to create an NPS, you know, net promoter score feedback loop, a customer experience score feedback loop, right? And a customer experience score is a little bit more involved because when we have, when we go through very complex workflows in the product, such as, you know, setting up an IPsec VPN or, or going through an STDC upgrade or some other complex workflow, we ask for feedback and, and a rating on a score of one to seven. How did we do? And let us know how this complex workflow worked out for you and what's your feedback on it, right? And we're watching everything else. We're watching all the feedback come through to a Slack channel live and we're responding to it actively, right? Through our customer success, our global support teams reaching out back to the person who actually made the comment. I think this kind of tight feedback loop is something I truly value. And I truly try to cultivate that within the product management community, within the engineering community, as well as a big request and ask to our VMUG and all of our users out there to say, hey, help us uh, improve the product in new and different ways. And we are listening even more than we ever did. That's awesome. Feedback loops are important as well between leadership and individual contributors, just from a people standpoint, sort of in the same light as Michael's question, what if we slant that toward people and ask you, what is the gold standard for ways to give feedback to your leader that is in a constructive way, right? Instead of, hey, boss, man, this is terrible and we need to stop doing it. Yeah, I know it's a great question. And I think as a leader, I think you must open up multiple different channels of conversation, right? I mean, we talked about some of the channels earlier. I'd say that another mechanism that I've used, and again, based on observation, many other leaders at VMware also use, is this notion of an anonymous feedback, right? We put it in our sort of email signatures and it's on our Slack channels, et cetera. And that's a safe space, right? And creating that safe space is really important, right? Where people want to share thoughts, comments. What am I doing well? What's my team doing well? What are we not doing well, right? And, and help us improve ourselves, uh, you know, using a safe room technique. So I think that anonymous feedback has really, uh, you know, taken off. And personally, I've, I've had good results with it, I would say. And first of all, for the ability to sort of listen to feedback and then be able to respond to it in an all-hands forum, right, without obviously naming the person. So I think it's a very powerful, simple but powerful mechanism that I have used. Apart from that, of course, there's no substitute for just engaging, spending time, making time with not just your direct reports, but literally at different levels in the organization, right? And so using town hall techniques, using skip level one-on-ones, visiting geos. In fact, I'm visiting uh, some of the geos in the next quarter as well, right? Really spending time. There's no substitute for that in many ways. Completely agree. Uh, FaceTime, I know it's been limited over the last couple of years because of everything, but it it does mean something. Being back in person is, it's weird, first of all, I'll call that out because it's very different than it has been, but it's definitely necessary. Okay. So we've heard that you can't truly learn about leadership until you're in the seat. What are some of the unknowns that you can share with us? Well, I think, I'm not sure I subscribe to that theory, first of all. I think I'd say that I think you can learn to be a leader, like I said, in middle school or elementary school, right? There's this innate human aspect that just needs to be cultivated with the right set of opportunities in the ecosystem. So I'd say that, uh, you know, start early, think about, again, uh, what your aspirations are, develop them, change them if you have to, right? And find the right mentor, right, early on. And I think that's really important, right? There are many different ecosystem groups in the community, right? And I think it's really important to identify and find 
the right mentor or the right leader that you can work with, that she or he can really help you cultivate your skills, right? And spend the right amount of time with you. And so this type of mentorship model uh, is something that I think we all need to improve on, right? And this one-on-one -on -one mentorship is really important, whether you're playing sports or whether you are in the professional uh, life. And so I think we need to do a lot more of that. I think increasingly, of course, this reverse mentorship model is also really kicking in, right? Where as leaders, uh, we work with many others who are, let's say, much earlier in their careers and really get that reverse mentorship as well, where we have a lot to learn from uh, folks, right, who are not in our roles and who are looking at things very differently. And so that goes back to that blind spot in some ways, right, where as, as someone who has been executing on a whole bunch of things for a, for a period of years, I have my blind spots, right? There's no doubt about it. And for me to recognize those, seek out reverse mentorship, work with people who are, you know, uh, of very different perspectives than what I have, right? It's really important. And that helps to remove a lot of the blind spots, right? As one develops. Oh yeah, we all have blind spots and we don't always want to admit them, but we definitely need to fill those gaps. Well, listen, that's it for this episode of the Inspirational Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Narayan, for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Inspirational Leadership Podcast brought to you by VMUG. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to nominate a leader to be on the show, please tweet out to at myVMUG. Until next time, may you not be afraid to take the lead.